Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always, I am joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, Will? We've got a late start, but how are we tracking? Bit of a late start. No, travelling really well today, thanks, mate. Uh, conference championships have been played out. I came to the realisation today that we're at the end of the college football season. Season like is over. That's depressing. That really dawned on me and I wasn't happy about that, but it has been a hell of a ride this year, so can't complain too much. It's flown by, actually. I remember, you know, doing our preview shows and all that kind of stuff and you kind of, you know, you want to make the most of it, especially, you know, early on in the season, you're watching literally every single game you can. And by this stage, I am knackered. Two episodes a week, there's lots of games being watched, lots of games being watched at 3.30 in the morning, 1.30 in the morning before daylight savings, all those sorts of things. And whilst it feels short, 15 weeks feels short, it is an exhausting but somewhat exhilarating ride as well. Yeah, it is certainly a grind, but I just can't believe how fast it has flown by. Okay, we've got a lot to get through because this is the week 15 recap. I say week 15, probably championship weekend is a better way of putting it. Uh, So let's jump right in. Before we get to the games though, some coaching news. Now, as teams have finished up their seasons, those that are not involved in either conference championship games or or bowl games or even those that are actually, we start to see a lot of movement in the coaching ranks as teams look to either remove coaches that they're not happy with or replace them from other teams as well. So this becomes a bit of a, an interesting situation whereby you know a coach is going to stay and coach their bowl games, they're coaching their championship games, but trying to keep things a little bit quiet. So here are some names and feel free to jump in at any stage, Will. But Lane Kiffin returns to the SEC. He leaves FAU and heads to Old Miss. He spent a little bit of time at Tennessee, spent some time at USC as well and left a path of destruction in his wake, actually. Um, But what can we expect from Lane? None of that good. So this is certainly the headliner at the moment and he has had uh, a hell of an interesting path in his coaching career. So the times at USC, uh, at Oakland, in, yes. in the pros yeah, uh, at Tennessee, all just an absolute disaster, really. Like no, <laughs> no real success there whatsoever. Then obviously had the mind for it. There, there was a whole bunch of stuff happening there, but then went to Alabama, rehabbed that image, was able yeah. to kind of earn himself a head coaching gig from that down at FAU uh, and has kind of turned that program into conference champion winner and, and looked really good. And now he's vaulted himself back into a prime time SEC gig. So, man, it's going to be one hell of an autobiography when that one's done. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing for Lane Kiffin as well to to really highlight is the fact that he's going to put a good staff together. He's got connections all over the place. That is always something you worry about with a couple of names that we'll mention in a second is do they have those people behind them that can, uh, you know, really come in as offensive and defensive coordinators or line coaches and have an impact in recruiting, have an impact on developing players. And he'll certainly be able to get those guys together. Yes, I I agree. I think he's got that going for him. What he doesn't have going for him is that he is going to the SEC West. And I don't care what people say about the Big Ten East or whatever it is. That is one of the hardest divisions in football, not just to play, but expectation-wise as well. I think 
as a coach, it's probably the hardest place to go because everyone expects you to win and everyone is really good. So it's it's going to be a tough gig there for him. But I'm hoping they can turn it around and, and we can get a really competitive unit back there because Oxford's a good, fun place. It is. Just one more question on the old Miss setup. Obviously, they're coming off the back of or sort of coming off the back of the Hugh Freeze scandal and the fact that there was all that cheating and Laramie Tunzel when he came out and blatantly said I got paid at college and there was that big recruiting class with Laquan Treadwell as well, um, Robert and Kumadice and all these guys that were in the same class and that it was clear that and you know the NCAA did actually come down on them and hand out very lukewarm sanctions but sanctions nonetheless Lane Kiffin doesn't exactly have a squeaky clean record when it comes to following the rules. Is this something that Ole Miss should be concerned about? Well, not at all, no. I I think that's clear that you need to be bending the rules as far as possible in order to be able to win. So they've identified that, and I don't think they see that as a negative. They've seen a guy who knows how to work the system and to push the limits of things. And the fact that they only got a slap on the wrist has probably only helped that because if it was something more severe, then it would be a much more conservative hire. But because it's happening at so many other uh, schools in the SEC or everywhere really it's just there's certain levels of it they would be doing whatever they can they'd be turning a blind eye they want wins they want success if if you ask any of the fans too they would love to go back to those Hugh Freeze winning days than the stuff that has been put out in the field the last couple of years does this put Ole Miss straight under the microscope yes or no uh, yes. <laughs> well, no. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be a great one to watch next year. It's, it's certainly an interesting storyline. I'm already looking forward to. Okay. The other probably big news is Mike Novell leaving Memphis. Uh, the guy who had cornrows in his playing career uh, heads to Tallahassee, and he takes on the head coaching job for Florida State. All, all accounts of this one are that this has been a really positive hire, and, and I think so too. I think that Memphis offense is really, really good. Uh, he has, or there's stories out there about his ability to recruit and his ability to develop relationships with his players is really, really strong. So he appears to be a pretty good fit in Florida State. It'll be interesting to see how he goes there. Yeah, certainly. I mean, this one's the complete opposite of that in that this is a great spot to go. It's a blue blood program, but it's in uh, an ACC that's really struggling for an identity outside of Clemson at the moment. Like it's looking for someone to bounce back. So this is a perfect position for him to be able to go in there and make his mark. And he's done a great job at Memphis. I mean, he inherited a, a pretty handy program going in there. So we haven't necessarily seen the struggles and all of that happen i'm a little bit wary of that i know you're big on him i'm kind of still waiting to see how this plays out but it's a perfect spot for him and and it's certainly probably in my eyes the most desirable job just purely based on the fact that you have a blue blood program that you're going to be able to recruit kids to that you're going to win your conference you know or you're going to be in a position to yeah I mean, the big concern that I probably have is that, not concern, it's just the reality of coaching is that most coaches fail (laughs) and that's just the nature of it. Uh, Not every coach is going to get them to elite success and we've seen a lot of of those coaches come out that we thought were going to be really, really good and probably haven't hit the heights. I guess Justin Fuente is one that leaps off the page straight away who, who came across to the ACC and 
and he probably hasn't taken off quite as much as I thought that he would. Tom Herman at Texas is another one who we all well, thought you saw was Willie, going to be Willie Taggart like beforehand going into this same situation and yeah. he wasn't able to get it done there but he was coming with big raps and, and expectations there Scott Frost uh, to yeah. Nebraska You're, there, there's many more scenarios or examples where this has played out and it hasn't worked out than where it has because yeah. as you say it's just so bloody hard to win there's yeah. only one national champion every year and you know five power five five group of five conference champions and then even then if you're not doing it continually then people start to raise their eyebrows at you. it's just such a competitive industry that's, that's the nature of the base look so. at you clay helton uh, Eli Drinkwitz to Missouri. Uh, anything on him apart from his one year at App State? Can we read too much into that? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one too. I mean, we say Norvell in, inherited a good program, but he was at least there for a couple of years and had sustain, sustained success where Eli Drinkwitz, the one year going into a really good program already, I don't know. That, that for me is uh, certainly an interesting one. Okay, Chad Morris, who is the former offensive coordinator at Clemson, former Arkansas head man, has been picked up as the offensive coordinator at Auburn, which, and I love this move. I think that's fantastic for Auburn uh, and War Eagle down there on the plains of Alabama. You're a big Chad Morris guy. You, I am. you always have been, so I'm not surprised that you're happy for him. Uh, they, I think they need something down there at Auburn. I think yep. defensively, I mean, Gus Malzahn's supposed to be the the offensive guy right and yeah well and he, they come from very similar his play systems. calling very it was similar. his play calling that got him that national championship when they had cam newton and, and they did all of that like he was really at the pinnacle of things but they've certainly been behind the curve in the last few years so i think a guy like chad morris coming in who can focus just purely on that is going to be a good thing uh matt luke who is the f- for the fired old miss head coach from this year joins georgia as the o-line coach Sam Pittman heads to take on the Arkansas head coaching gig. So uh, he was the O-line coach at Georgia? Yes. Um, so tough sledding probably for him, particularly year one. Uh, Penn State, Ricky Penn State's Ricky Ronnie heads to Old Dominion as the head coach there. Go Monarchs. <laughs> Jeff Scott has moved from Clemson. Now, he's been there a long time. He comes with big raps and he's done his apprenticeship, that is for sure. But he's head, headed to South Florida uh, to take on the Bulls and they have been underwhelming since Willie Taggart left them. Uh, so he'll look to turn that program around. And, and interestingly enough, there was a lot of talk around USF and the fact that they may pick up or re-pick up Willie Taggart, but they have decided to pass on him, which I think is a good move. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly an interesting one. Jeff Scott is a Florida guy and he comes with these raps. They, they say, you know, he's been with Darbo for 12 years and he's, he's learned a hell of a lot. So he's going to be able to apply that same Clemson brand down there. And there's always been talk that USF is a potential power moving forward. Like they're the school that, probably makes sense to jump into a power five conference because they just have such a large student body they're in such a fertile recruiting ground all the ingredients are there for something to really get cooking so this is certainly one for us to keep our eyes on over the next couple of years okay there'll be more in the coaching carousel which will probably get fractionally crazier 
as well. Uh, so we'll see what happens from here. Are there any other jobs that you think need to be discussed, addressed, or what uh, open coaching positions do we have? Absolutely. So there are a few open coaching positions that I want to kind of go through, but I want to put it to you, mate. I want you to tell me, uh, Aaron Kemp, the offensive, defensive mastermind that you are, which Obviously. job you, you would be leaning towards and, and why you're interested in it. Uh, of the six or seven that we've got available at the moment. So starting things off, we've got UNLV. Obviously, you're out in Las Vegas in the desert. Uh, that's That's got something going for it. You've got uh, UTSA, the Roadrunners, University of Texas San Antonio. Yeah, tough sledding, but it's a, not so much pressure there, so that could be good. Yeah. Um, Steve Adazio's exit at Boston College has opened that program which is, I know you like your academics. I do. I do. Um, Colorado State with Mike Bobo leaving. Fresno State with Jeff Tedford uh, out. Stepping down, yeah. Yep. Uh, FAU with Lane Kiffin going. Memphis with Norvell moving on and App State. So of those ones, ones. is there any that – yeah, there's there's a few that are kind of towards the end there. Any Who jumps out at you that you think would be a good – good spot for you to go to well firstly i read desirable i read somewhere and i can't seem to find it about the unlv job and someone big taking that job on as the head coach uh dave aranda actually was the name that i heard the lsu defensive coordinator uh has been loosely linked to that job now i don't think that's actually going to happen but gee would that be an absolute coup for a school like unlv to get him. So, but for me, those uh, first two teams, the Roadrunners, UNLV, I couldn't see that happening. Fresno State's not a bad one. You're in California. Uh, Jeff Tedford did a pretty good job down there and, and has had uh, some success, not so much recently, um, but an interesting one. But I think the, the two for me have to be Memphis or App State as well. Now, I know you love Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, you know, getting that blues music in you. I was more of a Nashville guy, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously. But yeah, I, I think the success with Memphis has been, you know, something – effectively it comes down to do I want to be involved in the American? Do I want to be involved in the Sun Belt? Uh, and I probably would go Memphis. Having said that, App State is coming a long way. They've gone from kind of FCS football, they're now into uh, FBS football and certainly looking at, you know, they could be one of the teams to make a jump as they continue to develop. Uh, but probably for me, Memphis, just the way, the infrastructure that they've got there, their culture of winning, um, that would be where I would head, I think. Okay, so not FAU, not going to continue what Lane started? I, I don't think so. I think you've got to be a... a a particular type to go and take on uh, a Florida job that is outside of Miami, Florida, Florida State, and then UCF as well. FAU is the last dog to the bowl just about. Um, So you've got to be a pretty special type, and it's fair to say that I'm not that. So I'm going to go somewhere where I can uh, make the most of a good situation. Okay. No, I, I can't blame me on that. I don't mind Boston uh, in the ACC there. Yeah, just be the weather. The weather would yeah. get to me, I think. Oh, and, and I love and Boston as a city. difficult to recruit. 
Yeah, it can be, um, especially because you're battling all the Midwest teams that come in there and pilfer. So Michigan's, Ohio State's, all those sorts of schools come in there and, and pretty much have their way with the Northeast. Uh, and, uh, and academic standards are a little higher. Exactly. And don't be wrong, love Boston as a city, one of my favorite cities in the world. But for me, I would take probably the Memphis job, although I do like a bit of country living at App State maybe as well. So okay, one of those cool. two for me. All right. Uh, now let's jump into to this week's action. We've been stuffing around long enough with these coaching hires and moves and stuff. Actually, I, I better preface this by saying Heisman uh, finalists have been announced. So let's quickly jump through them. Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, and Chase Young, the last two Ohio State guys. Any surprises there? And who's your pick for the Heisman at this point? I don't think there's any surprise. Well, I'm surprised that it's only teams in the top four that got selected. A bit disappointed in that. I think there's a few other statistical uh, efforts that could have deserved an option this year. But for me, this is run and done. It's Joe Burrow and it is no one else even close. Like, yep. don't have the ceremony. Just give it to him. Yep. Cool. Let's not hang around here then. I 100% agree. And I'll talk about him a little bit more in our game recap of the SEC. But the juice this week, what got you all hot and bothered in terms of watching conference championship games this weekend? Well, you can lead us off, mate, because I think in our pre-show, we, we were all along the same lines here. So why don't you kick us off here? Well, for me, it has to be on in a bit of a not disappointing championship weekend, but certainly nothing that reached grandiose lofty heights by any means. But the American, as a conference, delivered again. The best game of the weekend belonged to a non-Power 5 conference and they continue to push to be considered the Power 6 and they, of course, place themselves in there with the other five. And this year they've proved that they belong and I can't disagree with them. Memphis and Cincinnati played a really, really good rematch of their game last week. Uh, of course, Memphis came out on top again, but a really exciting game, a game that I thought Cincinnati were losing control of early and I messaged that to you and I was completely wrong, um, but a fantastic effort again uh, by both of those two teams and a fantastic performance and a fantastic product by the American which are establishing themselves as a real contender to be considered with those five power conferences. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on the American. I've, I've really enjoyed them this year. I think you might be selling the Big 12 overtime matchup a little short because that was mm. also that was going a, that way. I'll get a pretty to good later. one. But uh, the American all year, like I've, I've obviously been Cincinnati this year. That's been my team and yeah. following them. It, it hasn't just been them though. It, it's been Memphis. It's been Navy. It, it's been a whole group of them. SMU have been SMU good to watch. have been as good of they've, as they've been in 30 years. So it has been awesome and to have them have that kind of pinnacle matchup with a spot in the New Year's Six bowl game on the line, like it wasn't just conference championship glory. It's an opportunity to represent your conference as, you know, the Power Six rep uh, and to get a decent matchup. It, it was a really good match and I really enjoyed it. So I'm right there with you on that one. Um, and then for me as well, well, we'll kind of roll in our bowl prediction review. You were fucking bang on this week. Woo! It only and took me a full 15 you. weeks and only are, 15 weeks. You are now from here on known as the big game analyst. Like, 
You know, anyone can do it when there's fucking nothing on the line, but big nuts Kempy here. Keep it coming. When, Keep it coming. When it, when it's all happening, you just nailed it. Like when I was going through it, I was, and we'll touch on these when we do the game recaps. I was obviously really confident in Utah this week. You weren't. You were like, "No, nah, Oregon's going to win." Oh, that's <laughs> stupid. Baylor's going to win by heaps. And in our bold prediction, you said that LSU were going to win by more than everyone else combined outside of the Clemson one because that was never going to be a matchup. And I was like, nah, it's, that's not even going to be it. They won't even win by as much as Oregon. Oh, sorry, as Utah. And how fucking wrong I was. But let's not dwell on that part of this. And let, let's talk about how excellent your predictions were because you nailed that. And then essentially every other game, like I was going through it in my head, I was like, man, if I listen back to everything that Aaron said – Pretty much on the money, so I'm I'm excited for you. It has taken a little while to get going, but <laughs> it's good, mate. There were know, there was a one that I got wrong, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, but going into the national championship game now, I'm going to be like on tender hooks, <laughs> waiting for your pick because I'm taking that to the bank. Okay, well I'm happy with that, and we'll just keep rolling this. That I'm I'm good at what I do because I've spent 14 weeks proving that I know nothing about football, and one week which we're going to talk about how just how good I really am. Uh, and yeah, it's it's the ultimate stitch up. I think like you really <laughs> yeah. you've got us all fooled, with you, and now this is yeah clever. All right, so what was your disappointing moment then? Your lay down Sally for the week. Uh, all the weekend's action. What did you see that was a fractionally disappointing for you? It was it was Utah football. It, it was clearly Utah football for me. I mean, I had really high hopes for them going into this. I wanted them so badly to be represented in the playoff, uh, and they don't deserve an opportunity. Obviously, after the back of that effort, like they just needed to win that game, and they weren't ever in it. Nope. What they what they do well was stop the run and they got run all over. Like it was it was an embarrassing effort for them and it's been the way of the Pac-12 all fucking year. We've been saying this shit that they just keep, you know, chewing themselves up and then you said it in your preview you're like, yeah, no, they they've been doing it all year. It's going to happen again and it did. And I was just really disappointed for it because it was a perfect situation for them. They had the senior running back, the senior quarterback, all the the stars had aligned, and they just laid an egg. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. Uh, and I was watching this one at the start, and Oregon jumped jumped them out the blocks. And we'll get a bit more into into the analysis of it in the game recap itself. But yeah, a, a disappointing effort for for Utah, and of course the Pac-12 miss out again, which is uh, frustrating. Yeah, deservedly so. Yeah. For me, the biggest disappointment has to be Ohio State's first half. And the only reason I say this is because we've now seen the top four come out, which will go and play in the college football semifinal. Three of those teams appear to be on us, appear to be teams that can win this game. They're to me, there's a team that's on the outer. They finished in fourth position. Now Ohio State was sitting first, they were ranked first. Uh, going into the weekend and all they had to do was control this game from start to finish and it's much easier to keep the incumbent at number one and if you're at number one you're playing that number four team who's probably going to be a step back and that's in fact the case they didn't deliver in the first half yes they came through and won yes they're still undefeated but instead of staying at number one they dropped to number two they get leapt by LSU which was completely justified 
And now they get a matchup with probably the hottest team in college football at the moment and certainly a team you do not want to be playing, and that is Clemson. Ohio State opened as small favorites and have since that has been reversed and Clemson now go in as three or four-point favorites at the moment. But Ohio State had a chance to end up Oklahoma in in the semifinal and probably play their way through to the college football final instead they're going to have to play Clemson and I think that's a really tough matchup for them yeah I've got two things to say on that firstly I think you're selling Wisconsin's efforts short in that first half they were really good they were playing really well they were getting an insane amount of pressure they were creating huge holes for Jonathan Taylor to run through they had a game plan they'd made their adjustments from their earlier matchup and it was working for them so I think mm. you're probably discounting them a little bit That's probably fair. in that. Second part is that you're going to have to play Clemson either way. You know what I mean? Like you play yeah. them now, you play them next week. I, I'm not so worried about having to kind of fight your way in there because I don't really want to be the guy who goes to a national championship and loses. Like no, no one, there is no second prize in college football. No one gives you added recognition for losing the championship game. So you've got to play them at some point. It's it's not like oh sweet, we'll, at least we get at least we got there because we got an easier run in. You've got to win both of those games anyway. So I don't think there's as big a uh, deal that is being made about having to play Clemson. Yes, it sucks, but you've got to do it at some point. Yeah, true. Uh, I just think it's it's easier. It's always easier playing one big game than than two, I suppose. Um, but anyway, that was sort of my takeaway from the weekend's action. Let's jump into game recaps for this championship weekend. And let's start with the first one, and that is the Pac-12 championship. We've touched on it slightly, but Oregon 37 defeated Utah 15. They were up 20 to nothing at the half. The big thing which you mentioned, Will, was Oregon's ability to control the line of scrimmage. Kyle Whittingham admitted it uh, after the game as well and just said the Oregon offensive and defensive line just completely controlled us, which we haven't seen. We haven't managed it. Uh, CJ Vidal went off for over 200 yards and three TDs as well. Zach Moss for the Utes was kept incredibly, I say incredibly quiet. He still went over 100 yards, but he was kept out of the end zone, uh, which was a rarity. And the other thing you mentioned was the pressure that Tyler Huntley received from that Oregon defense. It was a bit of a throwback defense to what we'd seen earlier in the year. I think for me, Oregon have got the greater talent and that, that we knew that coming in. They, they are more a talented team and they played well. They have to be really, really disappointed though with the fact that, yes, they get up for this game. And, and again, we've seen that from Oregon throughout the years that they get up to their and play up to their level of competition and they've got talent to deliver at that level. But then they go and lose to Arizona State and lose to Auburn and those losses really have to sting because I think Oregon at their best have got a fair claim to jump into the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly one of the losers on this entire season with those bad losses and being in positions to win those games. Like the Auburn one, they were up big at the half and they probably were the better team on the day even though they lost. And then losing to Arizona State in a crazy one, that just kills you now. And and they showed how good they can be this year. I know there was so much talk in the preseason by ourselves included about how good this offensive line was and that they had like a pro prospect quarterback. They've got speed dudes all over the field because it's Oregon. They've always got that. 
and they've shown flashes of it and and this was kind of the pinnacle of all of that they they were so good and so dominant up front in this one that they're going to be it's it's a bitter pill to swallow now because you're almost better off going well you're not but it it makes it that much harder looking back to go shit this was a year we really could have contended if we hadn't have slipped up in in those shitty matchups that we could have done better in and should have done better in yeah, so well done to Oregon. I mean, they still win the Pac-12 and they're off to the Rose Bowl to face Wisconsin and we will, of course, break that one down as well. Um, but yeah, it is a, it's a bit of a bittersweet one, isn't it, for, for the Ducks and Utah have got to come away really, really disappointed. They'll go back to the drawing board and they lose Zach Moss after this season. So, you know, they'll be they'll replace them. The Utah defense will remain good. Uh, of course, and I don't exactly know who Utah got in a bowl game. Um, they played Texas in the Alamo Bowl, which, yeah, it just lo- it just doesn't have the luster of the uh, the Rose Bowl, does it? No, not at all. All right, in the Big 12, so there is one team that would have been thrilled at that particular result, and that, of course, would be at Oklahoma. So Oklahoma and Baylor, the Sooners get up 30-23 to 23 in a very – uh, not not a similar game, I suppose, in the fact that uh, Baylor didn't get up early like they did in their matchup uh, earlier in the season. And this game was certainly a little bit closer than I thought it may be. The big news coming out of this one is that Oklahoma needed overtime to win and Baylor needed three quarterbacks to get through the game that included true freshman Jacob Zeno, who had to complete the game after Charlie Brewer and Jerry Bo- uh, Bohannon got knocked out. So... Uh, and he completed his first two passes for 159 yards, which is crazy. But then he was under pressure the rest of the way. Uh, overtime didn't go well for the Bears, and and Oklahoma looked sort of in control when that uh, when that overtime period started. But I I, I never really felt like Baylor were actually going to win this game. Even when they tied it up, it it was just sporadic, inconsistent, and I felt like Oklahoma were in control. Yeah, I mean. It is a championship game though, and, and Baylor have been this way all year. Like they've been solid on defense, and they've kept themselves in games. They've kept themselves within striking distance. So, I think your summary is fair. The Oklahoma were the better team, but they could have easily lost that one. Uh, it certainly could have gone away from them. And you don't come out of this one now feeling confident in Oklahoma. No, I mean. That it's quite clear that they deserve the spot in the four. I don't think there's too much debate. And and disappointingly this year, we've had another one where the top four kind of work themselves out. There's not too much missing from there. Like you could make arguments for Oregon, but they got two losses, so tough shit. Um, how that looks if they don't schedule an Auburn and they play, you know, Chattanooga instead that week and they've only got the one is kind of yeah interesting uh, isn't it a a different argument that can be had there but regardless of that Oklahoma uh, have been good all year they've got this prolific offense they've got a guy who's been to the party before in Jalen Hurts so I'm glad the Big 12 gets a seat at the table because I think that they are are an underrated conference from top to bottom. I think it, it is a, a tough out there every week. But at the same time, I'm not super confident in what we've seen, especially down a stretch here from them. Yeah, for sure. So is this more, do you think, this performance by both teams, is this a reflection of Baylor being good and they can be consistently good moving into na- next year? Or was it just that Oklahoma have, things just aren't quite clicking and they're just a fraction off the pace at the moment? 
I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think Baylor are a, a good football team, and if Matt Rule sticks around, then they will be a good football team again next year. Uh, and he has come out and said that, like there has been interest in him, obviously, and and he's as recently as today said, "I've got unfinished business here," so that is interesting. But as w- on top of all of that, Oklahoma were really rolling early on in the year, and part of that I think was a softer schedule, but it was also you know they were they were looking super super good, and that hasn't been the case so much in the last few weeks. Uh, one player we'll mention here is Kenneth Murray. He is an absolute weapon for the Sooners at his linebacker position, 10 tackles, and that included three for a loss. So he had a big day and he was all over the field. But the Sooners- yeah, looking looking like a first-round linebacker prospect uh, into yep. the NFL draft, which is not super, super frequent, I suppose, at that position because it's a little bit devalued at the NFL level. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's got a bit more range than your kind of old school thumper middle linebacker type. Um, he's Which you need to in this, this day and age. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now, Oklahoma then, of course, move on as they finished fourth overall to face LSU in the college football semifinal. Uh, and they play in the Peach Bowl. We get some fireworks. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see it. I think, and we'll get to the SEC championship game in just a second, but that LSU defense will be too much for Jalen Hurts and the Sooners, I think. So let's jump across to the SEC, and LSU absolutely crush Georgia 37-10. to 10. I, This is how I thought it would go. So the only thing I'll say before you can break this one down a little bit more, Will, is that I watched Joe Burrow last year. Miami opened the season with LSU and he was less than impressive. And it's kind of like he's just figured out the football now and he's just like, yep, I know what's happening. Now, I heard an analogy used, which I think is completely apt, is it's kind of like at the end of the Matrix when Neo like just works out that he can do whatever the fuck he wants, stop bullets, start flying. Joe Burrow starts to look like that now. He's just like, yep, I'm going to pass the ball here after an eight-second standing in this pocket, and now it's a touchdown. And he just looks completely in control and a totally different player to what he was last year. Um, And LSU, far, far too good for Georgia. Yeah, I mean, and that is exactly right. Like, that is perfect analogy that that you've heard there because he is insane at how good he has been and he just keeps getting better. Like, we've waited for him to trip up and kind of revert to what we'd seen previously, but it just hasn't happened. He's taken a step forward with every week that's been played. And on the weekend, it was just the complete build-up of all of that. And as you said, he had great protection, and then he would put the ball where only his receivers could get it. And it, it helps that he has some really fucking good receivers who are making some pretty good plays for him. But it's just kind of all slowing down for him. He is a <laughs> dude at the top of his craft, and I agree with you wholeheartedly in that because I, I was really blown away at how good he looked. And he will be the first quarterback taken now by the looks of things which is a huge turnaround from where we were earlier in the year yeah so he goes for 350 and four touchdowns and I do want to say that this was against arguably the best defense in the nation and that defense came into this game thinking that they could hold him and that LSU uh, offense down and it's fair to say that they couldn't Um, the old 
saying or adage that defense wins championships is just not the case anymore. You've got to be able to score points. LSU can do that. Georgia couldn't. Uh, Jake Fromm again looked slow and stodgy in that offense. DeAndre Swift had some injuries and got taken off the field as well. Um, and they just they just never got going. The other thing for me, you know, if there was a question around LSU, was that defense, and that did they bring it on the weekend? Derek Stingley, his two interceptions, particularly that first one where he is running in the hip pocket of the receiver, turns and makes a play on the ball. You don't see that from some NFL corners, and he's done it as a first-year player. Uh, That looked so, so impressive, and he's a really, really good one. He's just shaping up to be another first-round DB from LSU. Yeah, he's been that good all year too. Like He has made his mark this season as a really high-profile recruit who's just backed it up. Which, which is always something you love to see because a lot of these guys come from a lower level and then tend to struggle because everyone's that much faster and that much bigger where he has just continued on from his dominance at the high school level to dominate at the college level. And you're right, he looks as if he could fit in in the pros now as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid. It's just insane. Uh, Jake Fromm is going the complete opposite direction to Joe Burrow. He came in with really high NFL aspirations. Like he was looking at, you know, top half of the first round. And he's obviously still draftable, but as the season's gone on, his stock has just been tumbling down draft boards. And I wouldn't be surprised now to see him come back for his senior season uh, and to try and get that back back up. Because his last five games, he's thrown for less than 50%. Yeah, and and we're talking about you know an average of twelve, thirteen completions a game. That's that's not good, and it's not what the pro teams would want to be seeing in this modern uh, day and age, like the modern brand of football that gets played. More is expected of your quarterback, especially if you're drafting one in the first round. So. I think that is an interesting one to watch because if if I was him, I'd be looking at my options and th- saying, "Hey, what what are we doing, Georgia? Is there a chance that we're going to go out and get the next Joe Brady, and I can have, have that sort of yeah, turnaround yeah. that we've seen from Joe Burrow?" Well, and you know, the other talk coming into the game was, "Oh, that Pickens was coming in after half time, and he would make the difference." It just he hasn't, and, and he's not even close. Like he's had thirty seven receptions on the year. They make it sound like George Pickens was going to come in and, and turn this offense around after halftime and that he was going to make six or seven catches and touchdowns and Lawrence Cage missing was a big deal. They, he, they've caught like 70 passes between them for the year. LSU have got like four receivers that have caught that many. So this this offense is broken. I don't know if James Coley is going to be there, but... Again, without pumping up my own tires, this game played out exactly how I thought it would. And LSU, I said Clemson looked like one of the best teams in the country. LSU are a proven best team in the country. And every time they play someone, they just hand them an absolute butt whooping. So well done to LSU, well done to Ed Orgeron, and they have to be feeling good about their chances moving forward. Can you say without pumping my own tires when you are actually indeed blatantly pumping your own tires? Uh yeah, I mean, yes, I can, but I'm going to continue to do that. And let's just assume that from all other times that I talk about how good I did this week on the picks, that I have prefaced that by saying, I don't mean to pump my own tires here, but let's just assume <laughs> no, that. No, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Let's get behind you. Okay, Big Ten Championship, Ohio State 
Um, actually, just on that one, Oklahoma were cheering really hard for LSU there and they got what they wanted out of that game. So they do slip into that number four position. Big 10 championship, Ohio State 34, Wisconsin 21. Uh, Whiskey jumped out of the blocks very quickly and led 21-7 at halftime. And that included a 30-ish kind of touchdown, a 30-second touchdown uh, drive to close out the first half, which is just not Wisconsin football, really, especially if Jonathan Taylor's not moving the ball on the ground, which he did, in fact, do that on that drive. I said they had to put the ball in the hands of Jack Cohn. Uh, they didn't, and rightly so, probably up until half time. but it wasn't the offensive side that was the most exciting aspect for me for Wisconsin. It was on the defensive side, and the pressure they were able to get on Justin Fields, he didn't look quite the same on that leg. Zach Bourne, Jack Sanborn did everything they could on the defensive side for Whiskey, but it just wasn't enough in the end, and the class and the talent of Ohio State just came rolling home, um, and... Yeah, Wisconsin just didn't have that that second shot loaded in the gun to be able to fire again. It was like they were playing with muskets and Ohio State just had a couple of extra bullets in the chamber um, while Whiskey was sitting there reloading. You know, Ohio State went past them and they needed that counter punch. They didn't have it. Um, and in the second half, it was all Ohio State. Chris Alave, J.K. Dobbins, K.J. Hill, um, all had big, big second half. Chase Young got into the game and the defense started to to really control things to the point where they shut out the Badgers. So Ohio State ended up sort of cruising to a comfortable win. But I think that first half, like I said earlier, probably cost them in terms of who they play in their semifinal. Yeah, it, it certainly did. And Wisconsin were excellent in the first half. Uh, Ohio State were a little bit flat. Uh, going into it for whatever reason but Wisconsin really took it to them and I mean credit to you again you I was chatting to you a fair bit throughout this game and at no point did you waver away from Ohio State coming back like going into the half at 21-7 you're like yeah Ohio State gonna win this and and they'll still (laughs) win it comfortably and you were right and like there was kind of that undercurrent that oh yeah we haven't seen Ohio State fire their shot in this one yet like yeah. this, they're, they're being held back. But when Wisconsin scored on that long drive uh, with, well, not long drive, but quick drive, 30 seconds uh, it, it took for them to get that, it was kind of like, oh, maybe this is one of those scenarios where it's just something strange that's going to happen. Like th- that, that's odd. Ohio State don't give up scores like that. And for them to be able to do that, maybe we, you know, the defense can hold tight and this one can get weird and it can get close down the stretch. But no, I mean, Ohio State were not having that. Uh, They were a different team after the half and credit to Ryan Day there. I think part of it, you know, the the questions start to get raised in that first half. Mm, Maybe maybe it's getting a bit big on him here. You know, this is his first spot in the the bright light of a, a conference championship game. But he did an excellent job of turning that all around, getting his team in a position to do what they've done all year and dominate. And that they did. They, they really kind of put it away in the third quarter. Like they got even, got ahead, and then did not look back from there. So yeah, it's probably it, – it was more LSU's dominance uh, over a, a good Georgia team that kind of projected them forward. Um, but, yeah, it's – it was mm. it was a good game for a little while. I was enjoying it yeah, till about halfway through the third. Yeah, and I think that's about when it happened. And I think it was about that stage where Ohio State went ahead 
24 to 21, something like that after a field yep. goal. And you're like, you know what? Wisconsin just needs something here. They need something to happen offensively. Good teams respond in this space. And I think they went three and out. And then Ohio State scored again. I think they went three and out straight away again. And, and it was done at that point. They just didn't look likely. And I mean, I don't know where you go from here for Wisconsin. They This is seems to be a yearly event for them and they just can't roll with the big boys when it when push comes to shove. And I don't know what you do to try and change your image and train, change your game style because what they're doing is, is not going to hold up and it continues – you know, not to at the high level. So, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think that that's probably a bit harsh. And a, a 10 win season's really good. They get to go to a Rose Bowl. Uh, if they can win good. that, it's a, it's, it's a hell of a successful year. So, whilst it it's, it's, it's not the ultimate, as, as we keep saying here, it is so hard to get to that point. So, all you need to do is keep getting yourself in a position where you have an opportunity at that. And I think you're doing the right thing. So, I'm not changing too much up if I'm Wisconsin. Okay, uh, now we'll we'll keep this one short. But in the ACC, now I, I have I have a question for you because I'm not exactly sure how this sits. But ACC, Clemson sixty two, Virginia seventeen. Now we know having an AFL background, a hundred point win is a, a massive win and a huge win in a final. What's what does a score look like in college football for it to be considered an equivalent to a hundred point win? In Aussie rules now in the NFL, for example, because there's far more far or it's far more even across the board, or there's more parity in NFL. A twenty point twenty one point loss in the NFL probably feels like a hundred points in uh, Aussie rules language. In college, it's probably a bit bigger than that. But I was just trying to see if this is like a hundred and fifty point loss in Aussie rules, surely. Nah, maybe not 150, but it's certainly around that 100 mark. I think the 40-point the victory is 100. Uh, I think it's probably a, a good little equivalent that we have there. And that's what this was. It was that kind of really uh, outmatched side, that, that AFL side that's absolutely flying and just kicks a huge bag. And you, just, you don't see it in finals football, really. Like it's, no. And you don't see it at college football, like in conference championships. This is a really odd year where... It's it's been like this maybe a little bit the last couple of years, but it's it's not something that happens frequently that you have a team in a conference that is that much more dominant than everyone else that they're lining up against. Yeah, uh, is there anything that we can take away from this apart from the fact that Clemson are really well coached? Dabo Swinney still continues to play the was it Brian Billick for the Ravens back in two thousand where he constantly we're the underdogs, no one wants us here. Rah, rah, rah. And and Dabo Swinney's kind of playing that same card as well for Clemson. No one wants us. They don't think we're any good, you know. And he's and he's banging that drum a lot, which is fine. His team's clearly responding. But gee, they've got some talent. T Higgins went off. Trevor Lawrence was fantastic. Bryce Perkins couldn't get anything going for the Who's, and they picked him off three times. The defense is starting to really step up for Clemson. The offense appears to, if there was any question marks around it earlier in the year, has put them to bed as well. I mean, I of all the teams you don't want to play, Clemson to – I mean, LSU probably as well, but you don't want to get Clemson. Yeah, I don't know. As you said right from the start, the top three are looking incredible. And that's when we're going to learn about this Clemson team, when they come up against Ohio State. I'm not really judging too much on this game because I don't rate – Virginia all that much like yes that's a super impressive effort 
fuck, I'm looking forward to this Ohio State matchup. Yeah, that's going to be the one. All right, let's jump across into the group of five or maybe power six team uh, conference. Memphis win the American over Cincinnati 29-24. This game had lead, lead changes. There was coaches leaving, which we've mentioned. A whole lot of fun as Brady White and the Tigers win in back-to-back weeks there. Memphis now face Penn State in the Cotton Bowl, so good for them. Boise State win the Mountain West, beating uh, a Hawaii team that never really felt like they were in the contest. That game was 31-10, to 10 and it took a, a touchdown in the last quarter for Hawaii to make that look somewhat close. Uh, yep. Any thoughts on the year for the Bows or Boise State? Are they you know, arguably the best non-Power 5 team? Uh, I, I mean, they're always in that conversation. Uh, as long yeah. as I've followed college football, the two of us have followed college football, they've always been around that mark, which is a, a super impressive effort because they've had turnover at coaching. Obviously, there's new kids coming in and out of there. But they just put in a really impressive uh, performance week in, week out, and then that leads them to these championship games that they win. I mean, they were always going to be the better team. They, they were big favorites going into this one. Great for Hawaii. Like, they had a lot of talent this year. I think we were super high on them going into it, and then they kind of lived up to that, which is awesome. Yes, it's super disappointing to, to lose this one, but definitely can hold their heads high up on the year that they've been super successful, won a lot of games, and it has been as good a Hawaii team that – we've seen in a, a long, long time. And we're looking back to like old Colt Brennan days when he was <laughs> yeah. for like 10,000 yards a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess like in terms of best group of five, yeah, it's it's Memphis, it's Boise and it's Upstate. The, the three champs, let, let's have them play off on a like triangle-shaped field uh, and have some <laughs> real fucking carnage. Speaking of App State, they win in a shootout. Also pick this one uh, against Louisiana, 38-45. to 45. Uh, Louisiana made this game look close, but they were coming from a long, long way back and too little too late as the Mountaineers win the Sun Belt and Eli Drinkwitz moves on. So if you commit to App State, just be of the understanding that you're committing to the school and not the coach because coaches move in and out pretty quickly there for the Mountaineers. Yes, they do. This is one I didn't get right. And Central Michigan go down to Miami, Ohio, 26-21. This game particularly didn't reach any great heights. Uh, Jim McElwain's got to be a little bit disappointing, but good for the chips as they turn around a 1-11 team from last year, get to a championship game and unfortunately go down, but they appear to have everything pointing in the right direction. We've mentioned Lane Kiffin and the fact that he is leaving FAU, but he does so with a win over UAB in a big, big blowout. I did not expect this one to get away from the Dragons or the Blazers, whatever they are. Um, and that was a 49-6 to win for the Owls. Uh, and, you know, Lane heads back to the SEC. FAU will look to probably rebuild and, and it could be depending on your coach it could be a, a a real downswing for the hours now and they could go back to being a six and six team yeah you'd hope not i mean he's built that program up to be in a really good position now so whoever's going into there is her- inheriting some good bones and and they would want to continue to build on that uh, uh, the other thing i'd say the bowl game that the people really want is the Miami of Ohio versus the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, that'd be uh, I, sick. I want to see those guys go head-to-head because I'm a bit worried about your Canes in that one. 
yeah, I mean, Miami, Ohio would probably have – well, not probably. They definitely do have a better bowl, I would say, than the Canes did. I'm trying to find – they get the Lending Tree Bowl, does Miami of Ohio. Uh, so oof, that's a bit of a stinger. But, I mean, Miami get the Independence Bowl against Louisiana Tech. So, yay. Woof. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So that takes us through all our conference championship games. And again, I picked all of those except for one. So if you had got around me, good on you. Uh, Now, we do have one game we quickly need to preview. That is the Army-Navy game, which is coming up this weekend. What are your thoughts on this game? Are you going to watch it? Do you enjoy watching it? Talk us through your experience with Army-Navy. Yeah, it's not one that I'll watch religiously. Uh, there is a lot of fanfare in it, and like it, it's quite a spectacle to see. So I definitely recommend it at some point to watch it. Not so much for the product that's on the field, but more everything that goes on around it. I, I really enjoy all of that stuff. Unfortunately, this year, I think Navy are in a much better shape than Army. But that said, it, there's often t- like these two teams are kind of uh, on upswings and downswings, but it's always a, a fairly tight matchup. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, six thirty on the Sunday. Don't think I've got too much planned this Saturday, so I'll, I'll probably get up and have a gander at this one. Now, what sort of weather are we expecting? Because often that one can get a little wild and woolly. Yeah, she's not too bad. I think. I think she's a, a reasonable mm. bit fifteen of, degrees Celsius. Bit of rain though around, which I mean suits these guys. They're like, I can't remember what they call it. It's like three seconds of war. You go into the huddle and then you get ready to go at it again and it's just guys smashing each other for 60 minutes um, yeah there's so much on the line for those army and navy you know jarheads or whatever they call themselves yeah uh, and there's always like people it, it, checking in yeah it's it's just like bragging rights for a, a whole heap of people over there so it's a good one Yep, and just to give a tiny little bit of insight into the game, Malcolm Perry is going to be the best player on the field. He's a little squib, plays quarterback for Navy. Uh, he's about five foot eleven, or it may even be a little bit smaller than that, and certainly very slight, but whippy, a fantastic decision maker in that triple option, uh, and he will put up some numbers on the ground. Uh, Jamal Carruthers for Navy is also good. He's got an interesting story because he actually started. Well, Navy have got a uh, like a varsity team, which no other colleges have, but he was playing so well that they're like, actually, you can come up and play with the big boys on Saturday. So he's uh, filled in at fullback there, and, and he is second or third in the team in rushing, which is impressive. Army have won the last three, um, but they go into this one as underdogs, and I'm taking Navy because of their ability to, at times, throw the ball downfield a little bit more. So... Uh, I'm taking Malcolm Perry and the midshipmen. Yeah, I like Navy in this one too. They've been very impressive this year. All right, let's dish out some helmet stickers. We are on the home stretch now for our single episode of the week. Helmet stickers time for conference championships, Will. Yeah, let's do it. So Joe Burrow, again, leads us off. uh, 350 yards, four touchdowns. Another perfect game from him. Trevor Lawrence as well has been really turning it on. So 300 yards and four touchdowns himself uh, in – you know, only 22 passes thrown. That's pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, Levi Lewis at Louisiana in their losing effort to App State really turned it on for over 350 yards and the four touchdowns there. 
Uh, and Justin Fields at Ohio State managed to bounce back from a sluggish start for, to register 300 yards and three touchdowns. Running the ball, CJ Vidal was just a game changer in, in his matchups. Only the 18 carries, but 208 yards and an average of 11.6. So a lot of credit to the boys up front in that one. But that is impressive against a team that was giving up something like 2.5 yards rushing a year. Uh, the best run defense going into the game. He just made look silly. So he had three touchdowns mm-hmm. as well there. J.K. Dobbins, uh, Ohio State, did his lion's share of the lifting with 33 carries, but he had the 172 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and Jonathan Taylor for Wisconsin, uh, again, started really well, uh, but kind of was brought out of it. And that was always going to be their issue. As soon as they're down, you can't use them as much and, and he wasn't able to get it done. But 20 carries, 150 yards and a touchdown is is a pretty impressive effort. In And he, I think he eclipsed the 6,000-yard mark across his career. So only the sixth player at the college level to do that. Whoa. So you can, you can have another sticker for that, my friend. Uh, and then catching the ball, we had T. Higgins at Clemson, nine catches, 182 yards and three touchdowns. That's not a bad day. Uh, C.D. Lamb at Oklahoma didn't catch a touchdown, but was massive in their victory with 173 yards. And one that really popped on the TV in the uh, Memphis-Cincinnati game was DeMonte Coxie. Yeah. He was super impressive, uh, stood up in some really big moments, uh, and ended the game with 165 yards on nine catches. Right. Well, I'll add one more. I'm going to say Hassis Dubois for Virginia. Uh, he had 10 for 130 in a touchdown, but he wasn't even close to the best receiver on the field in that game. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, Virginia needed something talked about. Them in yeah, the exactly. Story, something, didn't they? something positive. All right, Aussies in action. There are a few boys that got things going. Talk us through what they managed to produce. Yeah, so we had quite a few Aussies playing in uh, the championship weekend, which is really good. We had uh, Ben Lennon uh, at Utah. So he had five punts at an average of 40 yards for Utah. Uh, Reese Burns, uh, three punts at 45 yards for Louisiana. So obviously both of those guys went down. But then on the other side in that game, we had Xavier Suboch at uh, App State, who's been really impressive all year, had four at uh, 43.8. Uh, the player of the week was Matty Hayball. I don't know where he has come from. Like, I don't know, halfway through the year, something's clicked from him because he has just been dropping absolute bombs. He had three and an average of 56. And he's one to watch next year because I think he has a really bright future ahead of him. Good Adelaide boy too. Uh, yeah. from from what I've seen. Uh, James Smith at Cincinnati has probably been somewhat disappointing this year uh, after a really, really successful year last year. It's been somewhat quiet. Had six punts at an average of 39 and a half. Uh, we had Ryan Meskel at Hawaii, banger 47-yarder, which is no, uh, no poor feat at the college level. So he, he nailed that uh, and loves, had his extra point as well. And everyone loves banging a 47-yarder, so that's good. And uh, then uh, Hawaii had two punters, two Aussie boys. Uh, Is it Steve Gaidion? Gordian? Gordian. Gordian? Yeah. Uh, He had one punt at 44 yards and Ben Scruton had one punt at 44 yards. So the boys sharing the the love love. there. And I like that. So, yeah, those, those were our Aussies in action on Championship Weekend. Cool. All right. We are almost there. We're certainly on the home stretch. Do we need? I mean, we don't really need to go through bold predictions again, but the fact that I did so well is worth mentioning. 
Uh, no, nah, I don't think we need to touch on that. But we can go on the punt. We can have a look at this. Uh, well, I hope things went better for you on the punt than uh, what they did in your well, prediction no. game. No, so it, it would have been good if I had have listened to you. Uh, Obviously. Because Utah, I had them to win going into LSU, and, and that was the one that I missed. So I obviously had LSU in that, but I needed Utah to win. They couldn't do that. So I missed on that one, which meant I also dropped my uh, multi, and I had a couple of units on that one. So that took away. So we, the other ones I did pick up, I had Baylor plus eight and a half, and and. They only lost by seven, so I was fairly tight there, but happy to get the win there. And Boise did it comfortably, easily covering their 13.5-point spread. So I only made me a half unit back this week, and, and I'm down uh, three on the year now. So that's okay. I'm confident we can regain that over the the bowl season. It's just good to see over the last, what are we looking at, Six weeks now, we're, we're talking uh, positive five times. So we're not making a huge heap of cash at the moment, but we're close in certain situations. And I feel like we're we're knocking on the door. So how far back are we overall? I'm sure you said it, I just wasn't listening. Uh, th- 3.3 units. Okay, okay. So over bowl season, you might be a chance here. Just Certainly. To- or you could completely fuck it up. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our championship weekend recap. This is our only show for this week, and we'll be back next week on Wednesday again to start having a look at some of these bowl games and what it all means. There'll be more movement on the coaching carousel, uh, but we do begin to dial things back a fraction. Now, I still do have a few bits and pieces in the works. We do want to get some of these boys on and have a bit of a chat to them as well and get some insight from America about how they're traveling. Uh, And of course, remember, do your Christmas shopping early this year. On top of that, please do subscribe to the show. Make sure you do hit us up on Twitter and on Instagram at CFB Down Under. Make sure you do leave us a review on iTunes or get us on Stitcher Spotify, podcast app, whatever is out there. There's about a gazillion of them. I can't say them all. I I assume we're on all of them. If we're not, blame it on Will. Let him know. And if there's nothing else left from you, Will? No, all good, mate. You just keep basking in the glory that was your best week on the year. It has been my best week and a fantastic week all round by me. Um, I think I've done a great job. I've, I've put in the effort and I've put in the time and, it, and it's great to finally see some rewards for everything that I do and I have been doing. Um, it, <laughs> sometimes can be a, it sometimes can be a tough slog. Don't interrupt me. It sometimes can be a tough slog. But you know what? With persistence and hard work and dedication, you eventually get to make one or two predictions that fall somewhere near accurate. And what I would say to all the kids out there is if you keep fucking up, well, stop fucking up really. Just be better. Anyway, on behalf of that guy up there in the Adelaide Hills, on behalf of myself down here on the plains, my name's Aaron, that is Will, and we will see you next time. (laughs) 